Spirit Catholic Radio, KVSS, Catholic Radio for the Christian community. Good morning and welcome to Spirit Mornings with Bruce McGregor and Chris McGregor. And Chris, always a delight, an honor, a time that uh, we really love when we have her back. Dr. Janet Smith is with us this morning. Dr. Smith, holder of the Father Michael J. McGivney Chair of Life Ethics at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. And Dr. Smith, again, good morning. Welcome to the program. Always a treat. Good morning. Dr. Smith, I can't tell you the flurry of emails, the phone calls we get, everyone compelling us to say, promote Dr. Smith coming to Creighton University. You have to do this. And we're saying, we're on it already, everybody, because there is such an enthusiasm and such an excitement about you coming to help break open the beauty of what the church has to teach us on fertility and, unfortunately, to teach us what the society is trying to do to destroy that. Right. Well, great. I'm glad. I, I love coming to Omaha. I like to know lots of nice people. They're a wonderful place. And I think that the group that's bringing you in, especially Creighton Students for Life, as well as the Knights of Columbus, they're trying to get an important message out, one that we really need to hear today. And in light of the fact that a recent studies have just shown that one in four teenage girls have a sexually transmitted disease, I think that kind of blows up the idea that you can have safe sex. Yeah, it's amazing, too, and the media is telling us somehow that this is because of abstinence-based yes. <laughs> <laughs> It kind of boggles the mind. You know, it's anything they'll, they'll take to, to use to um, you know, beat down the opposition. It, 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 all we've seen over the years is that the more and more um, ex- ed there is that says, you know, just use a contraceptive, uh, that that is somehow going to um, help young people be sensible. And the, the only sensible thing is to abstain. And that's the, that's the thing that we should be teaching them. So I this this new message. I mean, it, it should be no surprise. It's tragic. It's heartbreaking um, that these sexually transmitted infections lead to a great deal of infertility. Infertility has just skyrocketed in the last um, you know thirty years since 1970. The ectopic pregnancy rate has increased by 600 percent. Wow. Uh, and ectopic pregnancies are life-threatening. Uh, and also, often when a woman has one, she loses her, uh, partially loses her fertility. She might lose one fallopian tube in the process of uh, dealing with the ectopic pregnancy. So uh, it just astonishes me that uh, the whole world isn't finally saying, you know, screaming, we must be teaching young people that they need to abstain before marriage. Well, you have edited one of the most profound and compelling books out there, Breaking Open Humanae Vitae, for us. The, the document that Pope Paul VI put out, and unfortunately was not well received by the world, let alone some people in the Church. That's right. Um, it, it was, I mean, 40 years ago, there was just, uh, it broke open in the sense that dissent really became the coin of the realm. Uh, Father Charles Curran held a press conference on the on the steps of Catholic University of America and told Catholics that they didn't need to obey this teaching uh, that was based on an inadequate notion of natural law. And I've been, uh, again, talking about this for 40 years, and I think I think it was possible 40 years to have some sort of expectation that contraception could reduce the number of unwed pregnancies, you know, could reduce the number of abortions. But we've seen all of those, both of those things skyrocket uh, since the 1960s. Again, we've seen divorce skyrocket, we've seen sexually transmitted infections skyrocket, and anybody who doesn't think there's some kind of causal connection with the ready access to contraception, I think it definitely has, has his head in the sand. You mentioned Father Curran, and mm-hmm. his legacy of dissent has 
led so many people down a path that they shouldn't have. I mean, just recently here in Omaha, Kathleen Kennedy Townsend appeared to talk to a group of Catholic Democrats. And on a local talk show, the interviewer said, well, you're pro-abortion, aren't you? And she goes, oh, no, 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 I'm pro-conscience. Ah. Can you believe it? <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, it, and it's so, um, again, it's so sad because it's such a wrong understanding of conscience. That conscience really is this inner sanctuary where you have a conversation with God. And you're not asking, the question that one asks when one consults one conscience is not, what do I think about abortion? What do I think about contraception? Or would I feel guilty if I had an abortion? Or would I feel guilty if I use contraception? The question is, what does God think about abortion? And what does God think about contraception? Mm-hmm. Again, then that's a whole new question. And and it's it's obviously a, it's a profound question. It's not just a, a little ignorant person there sitting, what do I think? It's what does God think? And then you think, all right, well, I have to find out. And where does how does God speak to us? God speaks to us in many different ways. He certainly speaks to the Catholics through the Catholic Church. So my, my view is that any time a Catholic sits down and asks a question like, what does God think about in vitro fertilization? What does God think about contraception? My guess is they're pretty quickly going to get a little voice that says, well, you're a Catholic, aren't you? <laughs> and you say, yes. And say, mm-hmm. well, you know, the Church has teachings on these matters. I guide you through the, your conscience. I'm guiding through the um, cyclicals, teachings of the Church. Uh, almost every Catholic in the United States today can read, and read at a pretty high level. I, so they ought to be consulting the catechism, encyclicals, etc., yeah. uh, to, to learn what greater use of the gift of literacy, honestly, than to read the documents and the teachings of the Church. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we're very lazy and we think, you know, I mean, it is true that our priest should be telling us, but we're saying, well, my priest didn't tell me, or the Church didn't knock on my door and tell me. You say, well, wait a second, you're, you're, you can read, and there's, they're available everywhere, available on the Internet, you can get these things so easily. We all have an obligation as Catholics to educate ourselves. And what you're doing, of course, Catholic Radio. We are knocking on people's doors for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Knocking on the door and saying, this is what the Church teaches, pay attention. Yeah. Well, one of the other things, too, Dr. Smith, as part of that interview that Chris referenced, is that Ms. Townsend really wanted to make a clear delineation that she, in her Catholicism, separated the hierarchy of the Catholic Church from her brand of Catholicism. Because, you know, she thought they were... They're holding we're the us body down. of the Christ. We're the yeah. body of Christ, and you know where this hierarchy gets off telling us what we should do and what we shouldn't do uh, was just completely wrong. I mean, you could have heard my jaw hit the table when I heard that one. No, it really is such a sad thing um, because I mean, it, just, it means that she doesn't really want to belong to the Catholic Church. She wants to belong to some Protestant church. There's lots of churches that have that view of the church. There are lots of them out there. There's, you know, they welcome her with open arms, but. The Catholic Church is a different church. Uh, we believe we are the church that was founded by Christ, and that there's the apostolic succession from pope to pope, that we are being guided by Christ and the Holy Spirit, and that the hierarchy is, um, certainly, Catholics are the body of, of and we are the, we are church, as they say, but it, we're not independent of the hierarchy. We're all one body that's working together uh, to worship Christ, and so... I, I just think, again, she's throwing away a great gift. She's just throwing away a great gift of um, an institution that Christ has established uh, that helps us understand what what are the truth about very complicated matters that we can't just sitting in our own car driving along the road figure out on our own. <laughs> so 
it's a, it's just it's sad and it's silly. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Spirit Mornings with Bruce McGregor and Chris McGregor, joined this morning by Dr. Janet Smith. Well, one of the complicated matters that's difficult for a lot of Catholics to be able to talk about with their friends in a way that is, they, they don't want to come off judgmental because they feel that they've been admonished not to judge others. However, they need to be able to speak the truth about homosexuality. And that is another topic that you'll be taking on at 4 o'clock on Tuesday, March 25th at the Riggie Science Center. Many will be looking to you to help them articulate what the Church's stance on that is. Yes, again, I'm vastly misunderstood and enormous confusion in our culture. I um, work with some high school teachers who say their students are incredibly uh, confused about this, that they think that, you know, to somehow say that homosexuality is wrong is another kind of form of racism. It's like saying, you know, blacks are inferior or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're having a hard time making a distinction between um what, what philosophically is considered you know, like an accidental difference. I mean, what, what your skin color is makes no difference at all as far as your full humanity is concerned. It's, a, it's you know, obviously a beautiful and delightful variety in this world of, of, of skin colors that God has decided that human beings should display, and, you know, the more the more beautiful. Um, but that, that homosexuality, uh, the act of homosexuality, is um, it, it's a moral decision to, to engage in a certain kind of sexual act. And then the Church tries to explain by the virtue of natural law. They said this is not some private revelation that the Church receives, but this is something that really all reasonable human beings should recognize, that there's something wrong about these sexual acts, that sex, that sex is not just for pleasure, that sex has a, a, a really full, huge meaning, and among them is the complementarity of the sexes, that male and female are different for a reason, and that male and female complete each other. Uh, and it's very obvious in their sexual organs that male bodies are made for female bodies and female bodies are made for male bodies. It's as clear as can be. But that's, as John Paul II said, the body is simply an exterior manifestation of an interior reality. And so there's the fact that the, the sexual organs of the males and females are different show that, our, our, in a certain sense, our whole psyches, our being, are very different and complementary. That we, that females need something from males and males need something from females. And that when you have a male-male relationship or a female-female relationship, you don't have that sense of completion. And that those who have a desire for that are really wounded in a way. There's some wound in their being that makes something that make, would make a female think that another female could complete, or, or a male thinks that another male could complete him. There's some wound in their being, and that needs to be dealt with. And so that that, that homosexuality um, is not just a another skin color, mm-hmm. <laughs> another orientation, it really is, it's a wound, and to celebrate a wound as though it were just another natural manifestation is not sensible. Well, there are those that are out there that will say, well, I was born this way, God made me this way, so it's mm-hmm. a good thing. Well, there's two, there's two responses to that, maybe more, but one is that we certainly don't have any evidence, any scientific evidence that that's the case. Um, that all the data that, that any study that's begun to show tried to show that that's true. When when uh, others go back and they look at the data and the research, that's very very flawed. There's a wonderful website called NARTH N A R T H. Uh, I always forget exactly what those mm, letters refer to. It's something like the National Association for the uh, for the for Rehabilitative Therapy of Homosexuals, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a wonderful website that that covers all of the uh, scientific. Um, studies that have been de- being done on the causes of and treatment of homosexuality. It's a very sensible, very sane, um, very scholarly website. And so if those 
first it would be go to look and take a look at the status of the scholarship on this issue. And now I'm the one that doesn't rule out the possibility that, as a matter of fact, people might be born with an inclination towards a homosexual uh, attraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would simply be, um, in a sense, a result of original sin. I'm convinced I was born with uh, an orientation towards irritability and laziness. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's just no doubt about it. And so it doesn't justify my being irritable and lazy. It simply means that that's my particular challenge to 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 cope with those things mm-hmm. and to try to gain the virtues that would overcome um, those inherent weaknesses. So the fact that people have a profound sense that they were born this way um, isn't sufficient to say that it's okay to be that way, to, mm-hmm. to, to let that govern your actions. And of course, the Church doesn't say that, that there's anything sinful about the orientation. I mean, my being irritable by temperament or lazy by temperament, in itself, that's not a sin. It's a sin if, if I, say, use that as an excuse to allow myself to engage in lazy actions or ir- be irritable in my behavior towards people. Mm-hmm. The fact that I might be hardwired that way just means I have to work all that harder not to let that influence my behavior. Right. Dr. Smith, there are those who are within the Church, Catholic theologians, who have in academic journals that maybe only a handful of people around the world will read have actually advocated negating or changing the natural law to kind of avoid complementary type of uh, relationships in favor of the oneness of the person so that we no longer consider those physical attributes criteria for determining what makes a good relationship. Well, for one thing, you can't change the natural law. I mean, you can't ask the sun to move up you know, come up in the West and go down in the East. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So anybody who wants to change natural law doesn't understand what natural law is. It, it, again, natural law is something that's hardwired um, into reality. It's not something that can be changed. And so we all do seek a oneness, but if we do seek a oneness in the wrong places, we won't achieve it. And there will be all sorts of um, frustrations and uh, complications and maybe even diseases that come from that. I mean, the to look at sort of the, the state of those who are um, living a homosexual lifestyle, there really is a, a much higher incidence of depression and suicide, um, much higher incidence of disease, uh, much lower life expectancy of male homosexuals. Twenty years uh, in Canada showed one study that men who are involved in homosexual lifestyle have a 20-year lesser lifespan expectancy. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. You want to call that natural, if that's what it, what it leads to? There's very little evidence of long-term, and and there's no evidence, honestly, of long-term faithful relationships among certainly male homosexuals. But those who claim um, a long-term faithful relationship simply mean that they didn't bring anybody home, but not that they haven't gone out and had sex elsewhere. Uh, There's a very famous Catholic, um, by by his self-proclamation, Andrew Sullivan, um, who's a homosexual. And uh, he... He's delighted that the um, heterosexual community is becoming more unfaithful in their sexual practices and saying that they finally recognized what the homosexual community has recognized for a long time, that fidelity is not a value in sexual relations. Mm. So it's to say that you can change the natural law, it, it, it just... Again, it doesn't, it's an indication of a lack of understanding of what natural law is and what's good for the human person. And we can look at one lifestyle, a faithful heterosexual um, relationship, uh, open to children, 
overwhelming evidence that the people who are in such relationships have much higher incidence of, of happiness, their children do well, their lives go well, etc. Those who are involved in homosexual relationships, the opposite. Disease, reduced lifespans, um, psychological illness, etc. The, the evidence is overwhelming. Now, Dr. Smith, I'm not sure exactly what the percentage of the population runs these days that acknowledges being homosexual. Uh, I'm certain it's still rather small given you know, the, the, the full body of humanity. But why, if that's the case, is homosexuality so prevalent these days? Well, I don't know that anybody really knows. Again, there's what the prevalence is. So, you know, Ford said it was as high as 10%. More sober studies seem to suggest it's closer to 2%. But we honestly should expect it to be fairly high in this day and age, because so far as we can tell, uh, the one of the causes of... Um, the homosexual orientation, especially among males, is a bad relationship with their father. Uh, either the father is absent or abusive, uh, and in a culture in which uh, studies show that around 50% of marriages end in divorce, we can expect there's a lot of absentee fathers um, from the lives of, of young men. And uh, if that's a major cause of homosexuality, we should expect it to rise. Mm-hmm. And then there's the sense of the, the simply the um, acceptability of it. Uh, young people um, do tend to experiment sexually, uh, mm-hmm. and often you can you can just imagine young people, men and women, who are there lonely on a on a Saturday night in a dorm, and everybody else is out at a party, and they don't have a date or whatever. And um, some attractive member of the same sex says, "Well, let's experiment a little bit, let's fool around." And before long, you've ignited passions in yourself that you didn't even know were, could be there, mm-hmm. and now you found a kind of way that. There has to be a way, it seems to me, in which a male-male relationships and female-female relationships are a little bit easier uh, in the sense that there's a sameness factor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, you might think you know this person easy, and it's not as hard to have to enter into relationship. Male-female relationships are, I mean, there's this marvelous, uh, powerful sexual attraction that God has put there in order to make people who probably wouldn't walk across the room to talk to each other, you know, run into each other's arms, but then they realize they have to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to get to, it, I mean, it's hard, because mm-hmm. you're dealing with someone who's very different, and that can be absolutely exhilaratingly wonderful and complimentary and everything, and at the same time, it's also challenging. So I, I think that once you, that homosexuality uh, achieves a level of acceptability, a lot of young people who wouldn't have gotten involved otherwise didn't get involved. And they find a kind of an easy way to have a relationship as one that's more challenging. But then, of course, it's the quick fix instead of the long-term um, project of a long-lasting, uh, healthy marriage. Yeah. Well, isn't the solution ultimately, and this is the thing that people don't want to hear, it, ultimately it's chastity, whether it's dealing with heterosexual relationships or homosexual relationships. You're exactly right. I mean, it, 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 I mean it's, safe, it's a safe bet to say that nearly everybody is sexually disordered in some way. Right? Mm-hmm. Because of original sin. Yeah. Um, most everybody wants sex that they shouldn't want to have with the wrong person at the wrong time in the wrong place or too much or the wrong kind or whatever. It's, it's, again, that's something that's hardwired in our being because of original sin. Uh, and the way to deal with that is to try to get a really, John Paul II talked about it as, as a, you know, get a, what he called, I guess you want to say a really virtuous way of thinking about sexuality, understanding that sexuality is meant to form families, mm-hmm. uh, husband and wife, that are open to children. And so that when, ever, when everyone um, experiences sexual desire, arousal, whatever, one has to then 
match it up against that paradigm and say, is this leading me into the right path? Is it leading me to a path of a husband and a wife with children open to life? I mean, husband and wife made a lifetime commitment to each other who are open to life. Has my, is this um, feeling that I have, is it leading me in that direction? Is it compatible with that, that reality? Um, if it's not, then like a lot of things in life, we have to close it down. Yeah. And all, all, all day long we're closing down appetites. You know, you want to eat something, you want to sleep, you want to go hit somebody in the nose. And you ask yourself, is it right? And you say, no, mm-hmm. close it down. And so we have that ability in ourselves to say, yes, I have all these irregular um, desires, eating, hitting people in noses, having sex. You say, I have to ask myself, is it good? Does it line up with what is right and what is good? If it doesn't, I have to shut it down. And that's what's so beautiful about the church, too, is that it will always reaffirm that basic tenet, correct? Oh, absolutely, and also gives you help in that. Um, you know, I, I say it as if it was perfectly easy to shut it down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, it's, sometimes it's not. And the church has all sorts of wisdom. I mean, uh, you know, prayer among the first and foremost of them is if you're having trouble with anything, overeating, you know, anger, uh, disordered sexual desires, Start yourself a nice, strong prayer program. Um, find yourself a saint. Uh, walk side by side with you and just say, in the morning, say, I don't want to experience these things. Please free me from these desires. And then as they come up during the day, say, where are you? Um, help me out here. I'm, I'm having trouble with this. And then all the other natural supports in this world of, of friends that you can call and do things with and talk to and spiritual reading that you should do to fortify yourself. So if you find yourself with a, something you're struggling with, Morally, the church has all sorts of uh, age-old wisdom. For homosexuality, there's a great group out there uh, called Courage, mm-hmm. yes. which, which is a support group for those who are struggling with a homosexual orientation. I'm hoping the Diocese of Omaha has several chapters. I don't know. It yeah, does we indeed. do encourage and encourage yep. for family encourage, members. Encourage. Encourage is for the parents and mm-hmm. uh, family members of, yes. of those who have this are struggling with homosexual uh, desire. So I think um, they should run to those groups. They will find that they might even come to consider this particular cross a great gift because it will it's 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 an opportunity to just throw themselves into the arms of the Lord and say, Heal me and help me. Right? And the most important thing in this world is our relationship with God. And he sent his son Christ to be very, very close to us. And so any any weakness and any sin we have can be turned into a kind of a, a joyful reality in the sense that if we if we recognize it for what it is, say this is wrong, I, I don't like having done what I did, or I don't like feeling what I'm feeling, uh, God, come to me, heal me, send your son to me, send him to heal me, that's what he did, he was a healer, have him heal me. And that's what we want to be doing all day long, and that, that one will find that the most incredible joy seeps into one's life. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Every single minute of my life, I have the Son of God with me. Uh, what more could anybody want? Amen. So the, the orientation itself does cause, it is a huge cross. I think it's a huge cross. And I think it brings with it all kinds of loneliness and confusion and, and sense of, uh, you know, alienation from others. And there's a woundedness there. And But on the other hand, Again, the cross on which Christ hung was a huge cross, and there are immense graces that are awaiting those who are are carrying great crosses. So, I think that to just sort of look at oneself honestly, whatever whatever our faults are, whether it's a homosexual orientation again, or laziness, or greed, and just keep saying, "God, 
get here. I, I need I need help with this. I think everything you said it can also be true to those persons who are practicing contraception, whether in a lifestyle outside of marriage or even within marriage, maybe even so importantly for those who are in a marriage, because contraception on so many different levels, it really hurts marriages as well. You're not, or at least you're not open to the fullness of what your marriage can be. Oh, I, I it's another cause of great sadness for me to, to think of those who are contracepting and missing out on the extraordinary intimacy that is meant to be marriage. And that contraception has put a barrier um, uh, between the spouses. Uh, it, it treats sex as though it were just a momentary act of physical pleasure, as opposed to sex being uh, a way of expressing uh, a, a lifetime commitment to this person. And that contraceptive sex, is, again, is very momentary, saying, I just want the momentary pleasure with you. With non-contraceptive sex, uh, says, I'm willing to be a parent with you. Mm-hmm. And any time you say to a person, I'm willing to be a parent with you, it means I I am open to and committed to a lifetime relationship with you. And that couples who use natural family planning almost never divorce. And I think the reason they almost never divorce is precisely because they they are expressing with their sexual acts over and over and over again that I love you so much that I want to have a lifetime commitment with you. Or unfortunately, even though contraceptive couples may want to be saying that to each other, their acts, in fact, aren't saying that. And their acts, in fact, are working against that. They're kind of an alienation. I'm, women who use contraceptives are violating the goodness of their body and are saying, I'm treating my, my body as though it's defective. There's something wrong with it, so I'm willing to put all these chemicals in my body. Or men are actually using a barrier um, between themselves and their beloved spouse. You're saying there's something wrong with that picture. Absolutely. I mean, I think, Dr. Smith, as you've said before, I think as as we've talked about this, the idea of contraception really does end up having that kind of negative influence on the purpose of our sexuality, the fact that then babies, rather than being seen as a gift, are seen as, uh, you know, like a lot of society wants us to believe, kind of an unwelcome consequence of the marital act. Or a product that we can produce ourselves. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. But, but instead of seeing babies as just an enormous gift from God, and that God creates a new human soul when he creates a new human being, and that when spouses are engaging in sex, they're basically extending an invitation to God to create a new human soul, and to say that we'll do our best to return this soul to you as a wonderful human being worthy of eternal salvation. Yeah. Whereas contracepting couples are saying, we want to have sex on our terms. We want to treat it as though it were a momentary physical pleasure, as opposed to this huge invitation to God to create a new life, and a life that would come forth from our committed love um, to each other. So we're talking about two different realities, and I don't think most contracepting couples have much of a sense of that. You know, they sort of look at natural family planning couples and say, yeah, I think there seems to be something different about you, and you claim that you have this great intimacy and everything, and what, why, what could that be? Because I think many contraceptive couples have never really experienced that as a part of their sexual act. Right. They're missing out on getting some, I always call it the difference between cheap wine and a, and a really expensive wine. That contraceptive sex is like a $5 bottle of wine. And natural family planning sex, or, or sex without contraceptives between spouses, is like a $100 bottle of wine. Yep. <laughs> I'd agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hugely different. And people who haven't had a $100 bottle of wine don't have any idea what people are talking about. Now, $5 bottle of wine, it's pretty, it's, it's going to be fine. But it just, you know, after a while, you actually could get tired of it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But you don't get tired of the real thing. 
Well, well Dr. Said. Smith, if I remember correctly, anytime you give a talk, you're never afraid of questions, unlike some other groups I know that make people write down the question and they pick and choose. You're Censor usually them. pretty open to just about anything anybody has to request of you to, to answer. Oh, I love the question answer period. And sometimes we do ask people to write them down, not not because we're really trying to filter out anything we wouldn't like. I, I, I like to take the hardest questions first, actually. Um, but, you know, the writing down would just be some people like to make speeches. Um, mm-hmm. So you just sort of stop them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but I like I love I love the interaction, especially with with college audiences. Um, and I like to give people a chance to ask um, you know a follow up question if I didn't answer their questions satisfactorily or I didn't understand it correctly uh, to let them all right have another go at it. So yeah, I love that part. And again, that's the church. The, the church is always welcomes uh, questions. Say you, you know please please ask ask. We we've been working for centuries on developing the reasons and the answers uh, to, to why we teach what we teach. We don't just sort of deliver this as though it's a, a fiat that we somehow have figured out who knows how and just lay it down as a, an, an arbitrary law. We think that these, that these teachings of the Church are rooted in human nature, that they're eminently sensible, and that any reasonable person who takes the time to, to listen to this and think about it will uh, arrive at the same conclusion, that these are simply truths. These aren't these aren't unthinking laws that some um, merciless tyrant is imposing on people. These are, you know, like you pick up the newspaper, you know, the rules for good health. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sleep well, eat well, exercise. You say, well, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's nature. Yep. Absolutely. We've been visiting with Dr. Janet Smith today. Again, we want to remind everyone. Tuesday, March 25th, uh, Dr. Smith will be here giving a couple of talks at 4 in the afternoon, uh, both talks in the Riggie Science Room 120 at Creighton University, free and open to the public. At 4 in the afternoon, Tuesday the 25th, what does the church teach on homosexuality? And then later that evening at 8 p.m., again, Riggie Science number 120, Room 120 at Creighton University how contraception ruins relationships. And let it not be unnoticed by all of us out there that March 25th is the Feast of the Annunciation. Yes. That lovely. It is perfect. God is good. Isn't that lovely? It's also that Evangelium Vitae, uh, no accident, was promulgated on March 25th. Ah, the Gospel of Life. Beautiful. Well, Dr. Smith, we appreciate your spending time with us. And again, we'll send as many people your way on Tuesday, March 25th as we can. Again, 4 in the afternoon and 8 in the afternoon, uh, room 120 at Riggy Science at Creighton University. Thank you, Dr. Oh, Smith. Great. Thank you. God bless.